right, don't we? We love the one whom that name represents, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let's look a little bit more about him tonight as we go to Mark, Mark chapter 5. Um, I appreciate these kiddos singing up here. And uh, they were just singing out every time we would sing that, Oh, how I love the Savior's name. And um, Liliana over here, I saw you singing too. You're doing a good job right there, singing out on that song. You know, it's sometimes these songs with repetition like that, they're good for us. They get it in our heads, and, and uh, even the children can join us on those. But a uh, great song to have on our lips as we leave tonight and go on our, have our week this week. Oh, how I love the Savior's name. Mark chapter 5 is where we are. It's been a little while since we've been in Mark. It's been, it's been a lot going on. And uh, so let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll just kind of do a quick little review of what we talked about last time and pick it up there and just go forward in our series on following the servant, the servant son of God through the gospel of Mark. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we just pray that you will now, Lord, lead us as we've opened up your word to this gospel uh, account. And um, Lord, we thank you for this that we hold in our hands. God, we take it so for granted uh, so often here in this free land uh, to be able to freely, so readily uh, have this available to us, uh, to be able to read, uh, Lord, this, the, the account of the Savior, the one whom we love so much and that we can know so much about, that your Holy Spirit can reveal to us truths about, and the Lord can help us know how to serve him and follow him and what he wants of us. God, we thank you uh, again for that privilege tonight. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll just bless this time that we have together to look into this word. And uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit, God, will give to each of us uh, what we need, what we need to hear tonight. And God, will thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, uh, we have a number of accounts that take place throughout this chapter, of course, we have seen that the Gospel of Mark is a fast-paced book. This author, Mark, uh, has when he, he's writing about um, a lot of events and he's kind of cramming it together in some places and not giving a whole lot of detail in most places, more detail in others. It's amazing how the Gospels go together and, and we've, we've seen that often as we've gone through already these first five chapters piecing some things together from the different accounts, seeing the one whole story. And uh, in this chapter in particular, we have seen three people at the feet of Jesus. Um, and we're going to talk about one of them again tonight that we didn't quite get to or finish talking about the last time. Uh, we saw the man who was demon-possessed. Uh, we saw the, um, uh, the man who, whose little daughter was... Uh, full of disease, ready to die. And tonight we're going to look more specifically at a woman um, who, was, who had a disease and was healed by Christ. But all three of these, falling at the feet of Jesus, demons, disease, and death, Jesus has all power. We see that in this one chapter, that Jesus Christ, this one who we're singing of, this one whom we serve, has all power over things that most people... <laughs> All people in this world have no hope against demon possession, disease, certain death of loved ones, yet Jesus is seen to have all power over these things. Um, 
In verse 36, I think if we were going to pick out a key verse, a key phrase for this chapter, it would be verse 36 at the end of the verse, the last phrase that says, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. So many times in the Bible, if you've studied the Bible any length of time at all, you know Old Testament or New Testament or whatever it is you're studying, the subject of faith, faith, believing God is just prevalent. It's all through the scriptures. How much emphasis God puts on having faith, on believing him, and that being expressed by our works and by our actions. Be not afraid, even in the midst of a storm, even in the middle of a situation like these people are facing. Be not afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Well, we're going to talk about tonight, if we have time to get to both of these things, um, the faith that made whole. And we've seen, we're going to see here in chapter 5, three situations of people who had faith. And because of their faith, the result is great miracles. Great things that Jesus Christ was able to do in their life or in their family because of the faith that they expressed. And then in chapter 6, we're going to see the exact opposite. We're going to see the unbelief that restrained the mighty works of God. And what lessons we can learn for our own life today about faith and unbelief and the consequences of faith or unbelief. We all want to see the mighty works of God, don't we? We all would desire that. We all desire to see God work in our lives, God work in our family, God work in our church, God work in our nation. We want that. And many times I think the answer to why we don't see it can be pretty obvious when we open up the scriptures and we see what is it that's keeping the Lord from working? What can stop God? What can hinder the Lord's mighty arm? What we say, nothing, and that's true. There's no power greater than God. But we see something in chapter 6 that stopped Jesus in his tracks. And he was able to do no mighty works in this certain place. Because not of his limitations, but because of lack of faith. Because of a lack of faith. But before we get there, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at someone who had great faith, apparently. And we're going to begin reading in verse... Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in the middle of the chapter a little bit. Uh, the story of the man whose daughter died and was raised again that we left off last time is kind of split in two. And we talked about that story. And now we're going to go to the situation that took place in the middle of that story, which is this woman who had this issue that she was suffering with. And let's go to verse um, 24. Verse 24. And Jesus went with him. That's the man who's pleading with him to heal his daughter. And much people followed him, that is Jesus, and thronged him. We saw a picture of this before we were thinking of this. How much, how much of a crowd was here. It's so crowded. Jesus cannot get through the crowd hardly. You can picture this. You've seen this on TV or you've been in a crowd like that. Trying to press his way through. Trying to get through. Make way. Make room. And there's just people everywhere. Shoulder to shoulder. And a certain woman, verse 25, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus... 
came in the press behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may just touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now what's that called? That's faith. Belief. It's going to happen. I shall be whole. Verse 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. Now we just read that and go on, don't we? But think of it. Think about that. The fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus does something so interesting here. Immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. Turned him about in that press of people and said, who touched my clothes? (laughs) Now think about this. What are the people beside him going to think when he says, again, I've stressed this a number of times, Jesus is always doing things that, is everything okay? (laughs) What are you talking about? Why would you say that? Isn't it true that sometimes in life that's the way it is with us? Lord God, why are you doing this? Why would you tell me that? Why, why is this situation happening the way it's happening? Tonight, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. Dad actually this morning mentioned a number of things that we're going to touch on again tonight. And even go to John 7 uh, again tonight and see some things. But, but so many applications to our own life tonight. But he says, who touched me? Well, what was the effect of that on the disciples around him? Verse 32, and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. Verse 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down um, um, before him and told him all the truth. I'm sorry, I missed a part of this. Go back to verse 30, back to verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, and his disciples said unto him, Lord, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? People have been bumping up against him the whole time. Bumping up against him here, bumping up against him there. I could imagine people were probably reaching in, trying to touch him, just to you know, kind of be there. It's souvenir type of thing. And, and, but yet, this woman touches him, and he says, who touched me? And they said, Lord, people are touching you. You're in a crowd of people. So let's pick it up, verse 32. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now, we'll stop there. The rest of the story we read last time. And that picks up there with the centurion's daughter and the healing of that daughter. But let's think on this for just a minute. Here's a woman, verse 25, the Bible says, has an issue of blood. This woman had been suffering for 12 years with this terrible issue. 12 years she's had this problem. Not only was the disease a horror to live with, But let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute and think about what this is we're facing, that this woman is facing. Because it's important for us to understand 
that this isn't just an issue of blood. This isn't just a disease that she's suffering with. That is bad enough. Uh, uh, if you go back to Leviticus, specifically chapter 15, and in our home we're going through all these Old Testament books as a family, and we've read through Leviticus and uh, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy now. And uh, there's a lot there and a lot that, you know, we're telling the kids, now just listen in, hang on. (laughs) And there's a lot of exciting stuff in between, but there's also a lot of laws and a lot of details. And we went through this and we saw this, that, you know, if God had given certain laws, even sanitary laws, that if people had certain issues, just like this lady has, there were certain things that had to be done. So she was suffering because not just, and by the way, the law is good. The law is right. God in his law is very kind to Israel to give them all of that, to keep them from the spreading of disease, practical things, to keep them from a lot of problems and from sin, of course. But in Leviticus 15, concerning these kind of bodily issues, women who suffered from hemorrhage or these issues of blood in that day, they not because of the law of God, but because of that. They were not looked well upon in that society. They had to separate themselves from others. They had to be ostracized, in a sense, from society until they were well again. They were considered unclean. She was likely, maybe, we don't know this for sure, but likely she could have been divorced from her own husband because this was going on and on, and women weren't treated very kindly in those societies and in those times. She could not live in her home, probably. She could not come into contact with old friends as she used to do. She could not serve in the synagogue or the temple according to these laws if she so desired. She's in a pitiful state. She's suffering not only physically but emotionally, I'm sure. She's suffering with a lot of issues here in that culture and in that society. Her home, her joy, her relationships her religious traditions, her health were all taken from her due to this illness, due to this disease that had gone on for such a long time. Verse 26 says that she suffered many things of many doctors. She spent all of her wealth and was nothing bettered by it. She only grew worse and she's desperate. And then in verses 27 through 29, we see, and I'll put a picture up here for us, that in faith, in that crowd, She touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible simply says she was healed. It dried up. She was cleansed. And she could feel it in her own physical body. It was done. Can you imagine? And then what the mixed emotions going through her all of a sudden. Joy, I'm sure, but yet it says fear. It says trembling. As Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And what she would have been thinking in that moment. Jesus immediately, verse 30 and 30 through 32, senses that virtue had gone out of him. And he turns and says, who touched me? Lord, the multitudes are thronging me. What are you talking about? <coughs> who touched me? <coughs> and here's the point. Uh, a point. How many people, as you mentioned a moment ago, had been touching the Lord? Same Lord. Had the same power. How many people with problems and issues had been touching him all day? Had been reaching out and touching him just the curiosity. There's a lot of curiosity seekers today. 
People who even will come to church. People who will come to church on the holidays. People who, you know, Christianity is a, a good thing to be because I don't want to be a Muslim or a Buddhist. And Jesus is kind. Jesus was good. He's a good example. Just like the people in that crowd. Multitudes. Same opportunity is in front of them. But no faith. They like Jesus. Jesus is a friend. Jesus is, they want to hear it even. They, 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 but it's kind of a superstition. It's, it's, it's a curiosity. It's an interest. Interested observers thronging in on him. So many people enjoy church, hear about Jesus, go through the motions. But then there are those who actually reach out to him in faith. Amen. In faith, believing. The faith that makes whole. The faith that makes whole. Often in desperation. Often as the last possible course of action. And he answers. He answers their prayer. He knows the hour of faith and need. And he responds. He may not respond immediately like she had the privilege of having. He might. But faith often keeps believing. Keeps believing. Reaching out in faith. Trusting that God is going to answer. Or He is answering. We may not see it, but He is answering. And then He tells her a beautiful thing in verse um, 34. Go in what? Peace. This lady hadn't experienced any peace for 12 years. And because of her faith, He says, go in peace. Boy, and she didn't just go in peace because she'd been made whole physically. Although, <laughs> I was going to bring some peace, right? Some, some joy. She went with a greater peace than that. Amen. I believe her faith also saved her soul. I, we, again, we don't have the account of that, but you can only believe that. She had this faith that made her whole in so many ways. Jesus Christ is the only one who can bring true peace in any situation. Blessed quietness, though the billows roll. It's only Christ that can do that for us. Amen. It's only Christ that can do that for anybody in this world bring true peace. So in conclusion on this story, these accounts, the demon possession, the man whose daughter died and she was raised from the dead, this woman, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we talked about last week, show us that what we're witnessing here in the scripture is the first fruits. The first fruits of what? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Did the works of Jesus stop after he did all this that we have in this, the accounts that we have in the Gospels? And he died and he rose and he, and he lived among men for other, some days and then he was ascended into heaven. And, and boy, that was all great stuff, wasn't it? Wish we could have lived back then. Did it stop there? Oh, no, no, no. You see, sometimes we think, well, well it would have been neat to have seen that miracle. It would have been neat to have seen Christ do, and it would have, wouldn't it? To see the, Lord, the things that the Lord did. But you know what Jesus said? He said, greater works than these shall you do. Another shocking statement. Greater works, Lord. What are you talking about? Is Jesus still working today? Can we still see miracles today? Can we still see life today? I believe Jesus, and I know you do too. We talked about this a lot through the book of Acts. His work only began in this time. 
He was doing these physical miracles in that day, the greatest works ever done in this world, to show who he was. But that wasn't the purpose of why he came. Now, I believe Jesus still heals disease. I believe Jesus still wants to take care of the physical problems. I think he's still concerned about those things. I'm praying for Melvin Clyde, a little four-year-old boy who's, who has cancer. Wouldn't we all just in faith love to pray to God and ask God to heal him? You think God could do it? Amen. In faith, I know God could do it. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to, for faith to believe God can heal him. And all the, We could go down the list, couldn't we? We start naming names here. But, uh, but yes, we want that. And we see, I believe, in these stories, the first fruits of all of this kind of thing. But Jesus was doing these miracles to show and demonstrate who he was. And one time, there was a man who was lame, and they wanted him to heal him, be able to walk again. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, basically, in a nutshell, what's the greater miracle here? Because first he said, I forgive you of your sins. And what's the greater work? To tell him to get up and walk? Or to say, I forgive you of your sins? And then he said, because you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. And he did. So the purpose was to show who he was. But that's just the first fruits. Jesus Christ is saving people from their sins today. Jesus Christ is healing people today. The work carries on. The work goes on. And boy, the gospel has had quite an effect in this world over the last 2,000 years. How many people have come to Christ? What has it done? The faith that makes whole. Jesus is the life. When he came, everything changed. Everything changed in this world. When Jesus Christ came into this world. When Jesus Christ staked his claim, that cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross. When he was buried like that seed, crushed seed going down in that ground. But then like the new life we're seeing all around us this spring, he sprung back up from the dead. But that was just the first fruits. And it's been growing, this Christianity. Isn't it a blessing to be sitting here today in this church with fellow Christians to know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we can have the same faith that she had. That the demon possessed man. That the, the centurion with the daughter had. And we too can be healed and see the many miracles of God. Because of our faith. The sting has been taken out of death. We all await the day. The day. When all who are in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And come forth. I talked this morning on uh, text to a young college girl that our family knows. Um, and her father died some years ago. And she, this today is the anniversary of his death. He died in a tragic car accident. And many of you know Tom, Tom and Nancy Smith. And uh, Kayla, many of you know Kayla. What a testimony. Sorry, that she is and not a strong witness for Jesus Christ. She really is. Well, what an encouragement. She's going to Bob Jones uh, University. And um, she texted Jennifer and I yesterday 
um, telling us a little story about something that happened at the funeral with one of our children we didn't know about. And uh, so we were having a little conversation. And I shared with her, I said, you know, Kayla, last Sunday, you've been separated from your daddy for quite a few years. But because he came out of that tomb, and we celebrated that last Sunday, he too shall live. That's what Jesus told Mary and Martha. Didn't he, didn't he say that? Amen. He said, because I live, he too is going to live. He's with the Lord. It's really real. It's really true. Have you lost someone? You know, knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is just the first fruits that we're seeing. They're going to come out of that grave. Resurrection day is coming. It really is. What a day that will be. What a blessing to know these truths. What a blessing to know. He is the life. He is the life. We see the work of Christ in the world today. We long for the day when all the unrest and all the work of Satan and all the sickness and all the sorrow forevermore in the past, all through the power of the servant son of God. All through the power of the servant son of God. Well, let's go now quickly in the next chapter. Mark chapter 6. What faith that we've seen. What faith that made whole in this world. But now in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. And he, Jesus, went out from thence or from there, and he came into his own country, where he was from, his birthplace. Or not his birthplace, Bethlehem, but where he was raised. And his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And here's the sad verse. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he had laid his hands upon a few sick folk. Praise God for that. And healed them. And he marveled because of their what? Unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. This is the second, uh, I'm sorry, the account of the second visit of Jesus to Nazareth. We've seen him come to Nazareth earlier in our uh, series, his home place. The first visit was at the beginning of his public ministry in Galilee. At that point, he was alone. and It didn't end well for him. He had to kind of disappear and get out of there. Um, this time, he's accompanied by his disciples. On the first occasion, there are no recorded miracles in Nazareth. And on this occasion, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. What's, the, what's going on here? During the time between these two visits, the fame of Jesus in the area, in the vicinity, in Galilee and in Judea had grown, and it had kept growing. And things were getting hostile with the religious leaders and And uh, this continued to go on. The fame of Jesus had grown and his power 
had become more and more known as he, be, as he kept doing these amazing things, which, of course, we, we heard last week led up to the healing of Lazarus, bringing him back from the dead, which was uh, what led him then finally to the cross. So he's doing these amazing things. He's saying these amazing things with such wisdom. Sometime earlier, if you remember, his own mother and his brethren had come from Nazareth to Capernaum to persuade him to come back home. Remember what they were saying about him? He's beside himself. He's beside himself. Isn't it interesting to let your mind put away maybe preconceived ideas of Christ and think about the perception? that pe- We have our own perception of Jesus, don't we? We all do. We have our own perception of what he looked like, what he acted like, what he talked like. What he, we've seen movies and pictures and all this. But think about it. How are people responding to him? Now, I mean, I'm talking about people with unbelief. It's, it's like there's nothing here that's very special except the works that he's doing. He didn't look the part. It didn't seem like this was something was wrong here. His own mother and brethren went, I personally believe maybe they're under pressure from the political religious leaders. And they come to him at that point and they say, he's beside himself. Something's wrong. He's gone out of his mind. But that's where he's back is in Nazareth. He comes to his home place with the men who had seen him do such mighty deeds, and yet here they see him in a situation where he there could do no mighty work. They had seen his power made known in remarkable ways, and yet now he just heals a few sick folk. And this also, someone said, was part of their training. Part of their training. And it is for us too to see the unbelief of the Nazarenes. Mark 6, he could there do no mighty work the unbelief of those in Nazareth. They asked two questions. Look at verse 2 again. Two questions in verse 2. From whence, they said, they're astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things? Where is this coming from? And then, what wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such mighty works are wrought by his hand. Or what is the wisdom and what are these works that he's doing? Where is this coming from? And what is the wisdom and what are these works that he's doing? Then the next question in verse 3 reveals the reason for the first two questions. And they're not good. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. Is not this the carpenter? They know him. They know what he did for a living. They went to him to have things made, to have things done. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Nazareth is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. We understand that, don't we? This is the carpenter, the man we all know so well. His family's still here with us. What is this? What are all these works he's doing? What had they previously known of Jesus? He's from a very ordinary, very ordinary, very poor, lowly family in Nazareth. They know his brothers, they know his sisters, they know his mother, and they know his earthly father. He was the, look at it, son of who? Son of Mary. Why wouldn't they say Joseph? Now we could speculate about that. 
But what is behind this reference, I believe, to Jesus is a stigma. He's the son of Mary. You see, Jesus would have been considered a child, and it's illegitimate, we say today. Right? Did those people really believe he, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine the, the things that Mary had to live with? You know, what a blessing it would have been to have been the one who revealed such secrets that God had chosen and yet the stigma that she lived with. And we know that these things are true. On another occasion, <clears throat> when speaking of his father, God, his father, the men around him said, we were not born of fornication. Remember that episode? What were they saying? You were. We were not born of fornication. What are you talking about? He's an illegitimate child. The word we have today for that is bastard. That's who Jesus was perceived to be by those, now get it, of unbelief. Unbelief. The son of Mary. We must be careful, shouldn't we? Let's apply this to our own lives tonight. We must be careful to cast judgment on other people. And don't we all tend to do that? I'm guilty. Cast judgment because we think we know. Cast judgment because we think we understand what they're doing, what they're, why they're doing what they're doing, the choices that they're making. We don't always know the whole story. We may have no idea what somebody's been through, what they're suffering with. Just this morning, I'm not going to tell you the issue, but I had an issue I was struggling with. Just this morning, this just came to my mind. And I thought, why that? I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let somebody know about that. And you know what came to my mind later and actually one of my family members reminded me of? You have no idea what that person's going through. You have no idea why that happened. There could have been something going on that you, even, you know, around it. And I thought, I have been rebuked. It's true. It's true, isn't it? We all tend to do this. May the Lord help us. He was the carpenter, the man who they would go to when they needed their yokes to be repaired or when their plows needed to be remade or repaired and they couldn't do it when work was needed on their homes. These are the ordinary things that they knew about him. And now they knew other things about him that they did not know before. He apparently had powers. He could do mighty works. It had become impossible to deny this now. I mean, it's right in front of our faces. There it is. He was a teacher of wisdom. The crowds had been gathering to him. They had listened to him on that very Sabbath day. And they couldn't deny the wisdom. Amazed at the things he was saying. And they were offended. Isn't that something? Why were they offended at him? Why? Especially at home. You'd think, man, this homeboy, look what he's doing. I mean, this guy's doing amazing things. We had no idea, but no. They were offended at him. Why? All of these things he was doing could not be denied. Surely could not be coming from God. That's the implication. Whence is this coming from? Where is this coming from? They would not have been offended if they thought it was coming from God. So who were causing these things? The conclusion then must be that it's evil. 
evil influences that is causing these things to happen. Familiarity with Satan, with the devil. Has Jesus faced this accusation before? Yes, he has. Same thing. That the Pharisees and the Sadducees said it's a Beelzebub that he's doing. They could not deny the works. They couldn't deny it. Things were happening that were just really amazing. And if it's not God doing it, the implication is it's Satan that's influencing him, the carpenter. This had been stated about him before, as I said. He's an instrument of evil, not of holiness. Nazareth, these people have the same line of thought. Possibly they're also offended because of their perception. The humility, the lowliness of even his trade. He's a carpenter. Employment. They could not think of him as the Messiah. Not him. He was an illegitimate child. He's from a very poor family in Nazareth. Working with his hands. Detestable. Despised. Especially by those people down there in Judea. Up here in Nazareth. Lowliness of his parents and siblings. They certainly expected the Messiah would be born and brought up as an earthly prince. Grandeur, splendor. That's how it's got to be. That's how it's got to be. That's what we've always believed. They're offended at him. He's a, the scripture says, stumbling block in the way. And they're still stumbling over him today. They tripped over him. They fell. They couldn't see the plan. They couldn't see the purpose and the working of God right in front of them because of their preconceived perceptions. The works are awesome right in front of their faces. The wisdom is literally out of this world. It just doesn't fit with what they thought. What's the cause of their unbelief? Verse 4 says, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. I I believe one of the reasons is probably just simple envy. Envious. Because it came out of that same area. Same... Uh, location, the difficulty of acknowledging that somebody's superior over them that's one of their own number. Maybe that was part of it. We know all about him. We know all about his family. It can't be him. And there came a time that Dad brought out this morning. Turn over to John 7, just for a second. That passage we were in this morning. There came a time a little later on when he was in Jerusalem and the very same thing happened. He's in the midst of the culture and refinement now of Jerusalem. Nazareth, that's Hickville, (laughs) that's a small town. What good can come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel said. But now he's in Jerusalem in John 7. We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but I want you to compare the two. And just like here in Nazareth, they asked him a question. John 7, verse 15. Okay, before we get there, though, Jesus has come to town. There's a feast going on, and, and he begins to go into the temple, and he's teaching. Just like he did in the synagogue in Nazareth. And here's what they say about it after he taught in the temple, verse 14, verse 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters? <laughs> Having never learned. You get the perception of Christ. How can he even read? Having never even gone to school. Never learned. Lowliness. I believe there's also more than that, just reading here. Um, I think, in a sense, they're also saying, how does this guy have any culture, right? Any standing? How's he saying these things? Never having been to Harvard. 
Never having been to Yale. Never having been to Oxford. Praise God for those who are able to go to those places. Amen? But that's what they're saying of Jesus. That's what they're casting out at him. And that's the spirit of this question in the cultured place. You know, does God need culture and prestige? He doesn't need it. He can use it. And he wants some to have it. But the Bible says, and by the way, jump over to verse uh, uh, 24. Look what it says, verse 24. He tells them, judge not according to what? Appearance. But judge righteous judgment. Didn't God say something about that in the Old Testament with Samuel and the choice of David to be the king? Look not on his outward appearance, but look where? On the heart. On the heart. And that's where we're headed here. I know my time's up, but hang on just for just a second. The things that impress men do not impress God. The things that impress men, boy, do our, does our culture need to understand this today? Our Christianity needs to understand this today. The things that impress men is not what impresses God. Who saw the mighty works of God in these accounts? It was the lowly. It was the desperate. It was the hurting. It was those who actually had the faith. It was those that he called and he chose and they came to him and they listened and they obeyed. And it all had to do and it stemmed from their hearts. Their hearts. And where their hearts were pointed. God takes the small, he takes the humble things of the world and he turns the world upside right with them. Somebody said, leave off the criticisms of men and take up your cross and just follow him. Forget the criticisms. I've had the privilege of counseling someone lately that's getting married, a young couple. And we were talking very recently about the instructions in this book for marriage and for wives and for husbands. And let me tell you something. If you choose to follow the path that God has given to you, you will be blessed. Do you believe that? You will be blessed. But you in today's society are going to face the criticisms. Just expect it. It's going to be there. You're going to face the criticisms. But then look at the results. That's what I was trying to share with them. How's it working for them? Not real well. Who are the ones who are truly happy, or should be, content, have joy, seeing fruit? Those that are facing the criticisms, but whose hearts are pointed to God. And, and here's to sum it up. It all has to do with who I want to please. Who do I want to please in my life? Where is my heart pointed? What is my faith in? Is it myself or is it God? So how does this thing end up here? The people of Nazareth and the people of Jerusalem, small town, sophisticated metropolitans, had the same question. Whence? Where is this coming from? And in Nazareth, he says, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. And in Jerusalem, he says, verse 16, look what he says. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine, the things I'm saying, the things you're asking about, this wisdom is not mine. And they said, well, obviously. Right? That's what they were saying. But it's his that sent me. And here's the verse that Dad brought out this morning. And if any man will do his will, he shall know 
of the doctrine or the wisdom, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeks his own glory. And that's what they were looking for. But he that seeketh his his glory that sent him, that's Jesus, the same is true, that's Jesus, and no unrighteousness is in him, that's Christ. So, what is he saying there? Look again, if any man will do his will, he shall know, he shall know the teaching, the doctrine, whether it be of God. Wherever a man is found who in his heart wants to do the will of God, when that man hears his teaching, he will know it is the voice of God. And it doesn't matter the vehicle that it's coming through. Faith. The cause of the unbelief of the men of Nazareth was that they were not living to do the will of God. They were not willing to do it and to know it. There are those who may not be perfectly doing the will of God, but they want to. Right? Who in this world could we point to and say they've got it all right? They know it all. They've got everything, all their T's crossed right, I's dotted right. It's perfect. They're perfect. They've got nobody. But you know what God's looking at? The fact that they want to, right? Their desire is to please the Lord, to want to know his will, to want to do his will. Those are the people that are going to see the mighty works of God. Sometimes we get this thing wrong, don't we? Sometimes we think we've, that, that the most important thing in the world is to have everything right. Right? We've got to have everything right. Is that the most important thing in the world according to Scripture? Now, does God want us to know what's right? Sure, doctrine is important. But the most important thing is always the heart. <laughs> I want to know what's right. But in humility, I realize I don't always know everything. Right? So, Lord Jesus, teach me. Lord Jesus, I'll have faith in you and in what you say to me. But these people were not willing to have that. As Dad said this morning, have you ever wondered why Christ came in such a lowly manner, seemingly making it hard for people to recognize Him? So many times, because He's a revealer of the underlying motives of the heart. That's what He's doing. In this way, the true sheep, now listen, the true sheep who long to please the Lord God will hear the voice of the shepherd And they will follow him. That's what he said. My sheep hear my voice. And they know me. They follow me. Because they're looking. They want the will of God. These people did not. They will see the miracles. They will see the mighty works of God. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. These men of Nazareth did not have that desire. Their motives were all wrong. Instead of wanting to do the will of God, they wanted to please themselves. Again, verse 18 says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. And that's not what Christ was doing. But that's what they wanted. Due to this, they were blind to what was right in front of them. With all the miracles. And they were unbelieving. And the effect of their unbelief is that he could do no mighty work there. Why was this the case? God was not the central desire and motive of life. The affections of the heart were not upon God. Not really. A lot of motions are being going through. A lot of things are happening. But it's all about self and the things of the world. Last thing here to sum it up. What hinders the power of God in my life? Same thing. 
What hinders the power of God in a home and in a family, in a church, in a community, in a nation? Same problem. We're all suffering from the same problem. The mighty working of God is hindered because of the affections of the heart. What do we really want? What are we really looking for? Is it really to please the Lord? Really to please God? With all my heart, that's my devotion. What is the central motivation of our hearts? Is it truly to want to know His will? Is there a desire and a willingness to know and do the will of God, not my own will? This is truly the cry of our hearts. The underlying craving and desire, even if it would change things up completely in my life. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Who he was, where he came from, what he was like, who his parents were, his accent, his clothes, his upbringing, his education, his employment. Never mind all the miracles, all the works, all the wisdom. Chalk it up to the works of evil because he could never be what the affections of my heart desire. Not him. This is all just very embarrassing. He isn't fitting what I want. Never mind what God wants. Never mind pleasing God. That's not what I'm after, after all. We never say that. But often, this is why. It's cold. There's no fire of revivals. Because our hearts had grown cold. And he marveled at their unbelief. And he could do no mighty works there. Is this why the church is in the condition she's in today around the globe, or in America at least? The affections of our hearts have been lured away from truly seeking to please the Lord. We want what we want. All who had eyes to see and ears to hear saw and heard, and all who were blind or who didn't were blind and deaf. And it's still the same today. Oh, may we have hearts of belief. And of faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for everyone's attention this evening. And God, I pray that you'll help us tonight to search our own hearts. Lord, I pray that at least tonight, with an honest heart, we could say, God, we're not perfect. Lord, we struggle. And Lord, we know we're sinners. But Lord, we want to know your will. We want to be right with you. Lord God, we want, we desire in our hearts to please you. We want us, Lord, to look down, for you to look down on us with joy, with pleasure. Lord, not because of who we are, but because we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and our heart's desire is to please you.